Welcome to the Keras Molecular Minute Podcast. My name is Shadi Nabhan, and I'm the chairman of the Precision Oncology Alliance at Keras Life Sciences. You are listening to the Keras Molecular Minute, where we discuss many topics pertaining to precision oncology, clinical care, and the impact on what we do day in and day out on patient care. Today, I'm really very excited to host two phenomenal, phenomenal investigators and wonderful colleagues, dedicated researchers, and probably just amazing individuals who always have patients at the center of everything that they do. Dr. John Marshall from MedStar and Georgetown University, and Dr. Tony Shields from Carmanos and Wayne State University. Both are co-authors on a paper that just came out on December 8, 2020, in Clinical Cancer Research. The paper really looked at patients with metastatic colorectal cancer and attempted to understand how can we define patients that will benefit from receiving Folfox first or Folfiri first. Now, I'll say I'm not a GI oncologist, but you know I know enough about GI oncology to be dangerous in a conversation. So as we know, Folfox and Folfiri have been shown to be equivalent in prospective randomized controlled trials. But as you all know, those of you who have treated patients with metastatic colorectal cancer, there are patients who benefit from Folfox and others who benefit from Folfiri. So John and Tony will share with us the collaborative effort that took place between their institutions, other institutions within the Precision Oncology Alliance and Keras to investigate a genomic signature that allows predicting with a very high degree of precision which patients will benefit from one regimen versus another. This is really the way that we need to care for these patients to the extent possible. So I'm really very pleased to host Doctors John Marshall and Tony Shields on the Keras Molecular Minute to discuss really this innovative type of an approach to treating patients with metastatic colorectal cancer. All right. Well, I'm really very pleased uh, today to have two just phenomenal investigators, physicians, and researchers that I look up to and I admire tremendously, Dr. Tony Shields uh, and uh, Dr. Uh, John Marshall. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit today about this recent paper that came out in Clinical Cancer Research, the Folfox AI predictor, which is really relevant to patients with GI cancer, specifically colorectal cancers for GI oncologists. But first, We'll do a quick introduction. Uh, we'll start with you, Tony, maybe a little bit about you, where you are, what you work, and how do you spend your day? Sure. I'm Tony Shields. I'm a medical oncologist at Carmanos Cancer Institute and Wayne State University in Detroit, Michigan. I specialize in GI oncology, and I'm the Associate Center Director for Clinical Sciences here. I work uh, both in GI and our Phase One program. I've worked extensively with John and, and my colleagues across the U.S. In, in many trials in colorectal cancer, in trying to improve the treatment, and actually in a phase three trial, the IDEA study, we were able to cut down uh, from six to three months adjuvant therapy in many of our patients. Great. Welcome, Tony. And then, uh, John, a little bit about you as well. 
John Marshall. I am a medical oncologist as well at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C., and um, I am also the director of the uh, Otto J. Roush Center for the Cure of GI Cancers. And, you know, Tony and I are like-minded that we, we, we very much believe that precision medicine will make us smarter doctors and will enable us to apply what we have today better to improve outcomes simply by better understanding our patients' tumors. And we're really incredibly excited to have been partnering over the last five years on the Precision Oncology Alliance. Our GI group has really led the way of mining all of this incredible molecular data to try and understand better how to take care of the patient in front of us. What can we learn from uh, the molecular profile of a patient that will make us smarter and have better outcomes? And you know, this, this concept was there from the very beginning when Karis first sort of began studying patients with cancers. And if you remember back in the day, we were wedded to immunohistochemistry and looking for protein expression of cancers to look for, say, should oxaliplatin work or 5-FU work or arenatecan work. And we've had this idea, Tony and I have had this idea that we could use this data to make us smarter about how we pick first-line, second-line therapies of the existing drugs. We have to remember that even chemotherapy is targeted in some way. And so could we find characteristics of the cancer that would enable us to pick among the various choices instead of just random favorites that we have uh, or biases that we bring to the table? So we're incredibly excited to see this maturation that we've seen uh, using this broad molecular testing. The one thing I want to add to what John said, um, as he pointed out, when we started doing this stuff years ago, we were doing it a gene at a time. Uh, it was sort of like ERCC1 was the gene of the day for a long time. And we, we really weren't able to pick out the right therapy doing one gene or two genes at a time. And this shows that when you test hundreds and even thousands of genes, you can actually combine them in ways that, quite honestly, we don't fully understand. You know, the artificial intelligence puts it together, and it's not like where you put five genes together and you do the, you know, what's the p-value of this gene and the p-value of that gene, and you put it together and try to come up with sort of a combination or a weighting. As was explained when we first started looking at the data, that, you know, it's, it's really a complex interaction of these genes. You know, one may go up in one situation and it's balanced by something else going down. And it's, it's not something that, unfortunately, the human mind does a good job of separating out. And artificial intelligence really puts it all together. And, and in this signature, invited, it found 67 genes that put together really helped us. So, Tony, let's level set a little bit because I want to make sure I take the listeners before to get to the 6-7 gene, how did the idea start? I mean, how did you guys start thinking a couple of years ago with this Paul Fox, Paul Fury, and so forth? Any of you can just jump in. What, what brought this idea to mind? Well, Chadi, let me start. I mean, we clearly were observing in clinic. Some patients responded to oxaloplatin-based chemo. Some responded to arenatecan-based chemo. And it was clear, it was an observation that you could just, just see. But what was driving that? What was under that? And so one, one strategy was, well, just throw it all in and let's give five a few oxaloplatin and arenatecan, cover all of our bases. But most of us thought 
it's really too spicy for most patients. Could we come up with some sort of molecular characteristic that would tell us this patient should get oxaloplatin and this patient should get arenatitan? It sounds silly. It sounds like a very basic question, but we didn't know. And so our, our teaching was just give both, either sequentially or all together. And that seemed dumb. That just seemed like we should be able to do a better job of it. So that's where, for me, it all started. So, Tony, that the idea was let's optimize, you know, what patients get. How did you guys collectively go around attempting to answer this question? Well, I mean, I think the artificial intelligence models we're able to put together way more genes than any of us could sit there by hand and put together. And quite honestly, when the first data got spit out early on, I was surprised. I mean, I really didn't expect it to work so well at differentiating those that would respond to full Fox and those that wouldn't. And it was really remarkable that it, it made an amazing difference. I mean, it's, it's better than adding a biologic, quite honestly, just being able to pick the right you know, cytotoxic mix. And so we were really surprised how well it really works when we, we actually do this. No, I was gonna say, but we had to sort of overcome our skepticism, right? About you know, applying artificial intelligence and is it a real truth of science or is it just a quirk of the data? So that's really where the uh, international collaboration came into this, where uh, using data that we'd collected over the years as sort of the discovery set, but then applying this to uh, other data sets uh, from randomized trials and being able to confirm the, the findings in that kind of setting. And so this, yeah. to me, was a real positive. Yeah. What did you find in the discovery set? Let's tell listeners what you found in the discovery set, and maybe Tony can take us through how you validated that discovery from the discovery set. Yeah. So basically, the phenomenon was is that if the patient's tumor had a particular profile, uh, we're going to call that sort of oxaloplatin sensitive uh, or benefiting from, those patients who were given oxaloplatin as first-line therapy had a much greater survival um, than those who didn't, pure and simple. And, and the reverse was true as well. So if you gave a renatecan frontline to a patient with a full Fox signature, if I can say it that way, then they didn't benefit. So it predicted in both ways. So it didn't just say that this was a patient who had a better tumor and was gonna be more responsive to any chemo. It was actually predictive a benefit to oxaloplatin-based therapy, and it was quite a strong signal. It was, um, uh, you know, months, uh, I think 10 months plus of improved overall survival if uh, you had that signature and followed that routine. And at first, as Tony said, we didn't really believe it, so we shared it among ourselves. We picked at it. We, we doubted it, um, and we came up with a strategy to validate it. And that signature is what you're referring to as the 67 genes, uh, Tony, that... Uh, That's right. Positive gene. So what did, how did you validate it, Tony? How did you validate that? Well, well we, we obviously did it in a training set, and that's how you figure those things out. But, you know, you never believe the training set. That's, it's supposed to give you the answer you go in looking for. And then we, we ran it in another cohort of patients, I think it was about over 240 patients, and showed the difference was really remarkable. And I must say, 
when it was first presented at our Keras meetings, we really shot at it because I, I don't think a lot of us believed it because it looks so good. And so then they got the data from Tribe to further validate it. You know, so we basically did the training set and two test sets to show that it really did validate well uh, across. Well, that's for, for listeners who don't know what Tribe is. You wanna, you may, can you just, what is Tribe? This was a European study looking at full Fox versus full Fury. And, and so they, we were able to actually get that prospective study and, and analyze it that way. And it, it held out. It was, it was really amazing. And I think as, as is in the paper, we've looked at other tumor types, you know, gastric and pancreatic, and this, the same uh, approach works. Um, you know, these are ones we routinely give oxaloplatin to, you know, it's starting to change that as well. We clearly need more validation that was sort of more exploratory, but the fact that it works in other GI cancers really provides further validation that it makes sense in colorectal cancer. You know, Chatty, this is really where we're going. I mean, people question, why do I need 700 genes on a patient? Why do I need to do broad molecular profiling when in fact, I really only need three or four or five to practice medicine today. And I think, this analysis is really groundbreaking for why, the answer to why we need to profile everybody. Because from these kinds of patterns, patterns that we would not have predicted or observed, as Tony said, with the human eye, we're understanding biology. We're understanding and discovering new targets, new pathways, um, and new patterns that will make us smarter. Right? It's what we all want. And, and so not just with new fancy targeted therapies, but our everyday based treatments can be made better through this process. And so to me, this is really a groundbreaking study that the power of, of this kind of analysis can be applied fairly quickly, I might add, and returned to us in a way that better informs some of our decisions that up until now have been really just biased and random. I'm intrigued by what Tony mentioned about the um, the signature applied to patients with uh, gastric cancer or pancreatic cancer who may receive an oxaliplatin-based regimen. makes me wonder, as a non-GI oncologist myself, that this may be an oxaliplatin signature. Are there plans to validate the signature in the non-colorectal cancer cohorts moving forward? I mean, clearly that's what we need to do. I mean, the the pancreatic data and the uh, gastric data certainly looks very intriguing, and we need to do those studies also. The other thing to point out is when, when you go back and look at that gene signature, it's not surprising when you look at what genes are involved, and some of them are expected. They're DNA repair genes or cell cycle regulation genes, sort of things that you might think would work, but you wouldn't have combined them in the way they were done as part of this. But I, I'm really hopeful that in the long run, we'll start to look at those and say, you know, there's, there's one here that's not signaling this off. Well, maybe, you know, if we can pick out some of those or combinations of those that we need to add a certain targeted agent against notch in some of these patients or other things. And, and so I think these the underlying this information is really a goldmine of future studies in really potentially small subsets based on that signature. 
John, does the, you know, we all know that with Folfox and Folfiri, you usually add a novel agent, whether it's cetuximab or bevacizumab and so forth. Does it matter from a signature perspective which one of these novel agents you would combine with the systemic therapy? Well, so far, we think not. Um, I think it'll be nice to apply this to more studies, but I think it's more fundamental to the chemo, in my opinion. I think that doesn't really say don't or do give biologics, but that's where I think some of this needs to go, is now applying this to almost every therapy we give to predict the relative value added. I mean, if you think about you know, the healthcare crisis, the cost of cancer medicine, and all the things we do, if we could be smarter about who really should have bevacizumab added, um, who really should go with EGFR frontline, let's go to pancreas. Who should get fulfirinox and who would do fine with gymnapaclitaxel? I mean, these are questions not only to improve outcomes and quality of life, but improve costs dramatically. So, you know, I hope, or at least I, I, I hope my prediction comes true, that, you know, this kind of analysis will become standard, will become the routine for all of us as we go forward over the next decade. And Tony, my understanding is that you guys collectively as investigators, you're working on a prospective registry type of thing. Can you just share with us what that looks like and so forth? Well, this is going to be a study where basically all the patients going in will have the Keras analysis and the full Fox AI signature done around the time they start treatment. We, we've actually made it a real-world sort of study. We're hoping that you would get that result before you actually start, but we actually allow patients to get a cycle or two and, and then reconsider because some of our patients, most of our patients, want to be started on treatment yesterday, and some of them have very advanced disease that I want to start them on treatment yesterday. And so we can get them started on treatment, but if the signature comes back and says, and I started Fulfox, and we see that this is not the best treatment, I can switch them to Fulfiri, you know, a couple of weeks or a month later. We're going to be collecting the data on those, one, to see how the docs use the information, but two, to see what the outcomes look like overall when we use that. And, and so, you know, and it's, it's the choice of the doctor. They can get Fulfox, they can get Kpox, they can get Fulfiri, they can get Fulfoxiri. We'll be looking at all of those plus whatever biologic they want to throw in uh, to look at it. And you mentioned the biologics. We really, most of the patients on this study were on bevacizumab. There weren't very many patients who got a frontline EGFR inhibitor. So we really couldn't analyze it here. But certainly in the long run, as, as John mentioned, we really do need to get that information. I love the idea of the registry and the observation afterwards. John, I mean, you both, I mean, you and Tony, you're super specialized GI oncologists. So, I mean, I think it's fair to say that the majority of community oncologists are a little bit more general. They obviously see patients with GI, GU, breast cancer, and so forth. What would you tell a community oncologist today with the release of this paper? And for the sake of the listeners, we are taping this on December 8th. But what would you tell community oncologists who are generalist, not like you as a subspecialist? Honestly, this in some ways makes life easier. You're getting good data. We know you need to do some basic molecular profiling on almost every patient with colorectal cancer, right? You need to know MSI. You need to know RAS, BRAF. You need to know HER2. You need to know sightedness. 
So in the process of doing molecular testing, if you were to get this result back, it also would help guide you in the base chemotherapy. Not every assay has this. Some people have different partnerships, for example. There are good companies that are doing molecular profiling. A lot of molecular profiling is being done in-house. And so right now, this is an exclusive offering of one company. And, you know, does this mean everybody should be using this? Well, I mean, Tony and I basically bought in, but you have to decide for yourself if this is a, a practice-changing data set that you want. And for right now, if you want it, that's how you would have to get it is through through a Keras panel. I mean, one of the things actually I'm having discussions with is I'm working with groups that are doing their own full exome sequencing as part of other studies. And one of the things I'd like to do, and I'm, I've been talking to folks at Keras about, is actually importing their data to let Keras just do the analysis as a way of confirming it so that potentially you could license out the software and somebody else might actually do the sequencing. And so I think that's a possibility in the long run, that the analysis is, is basically a separate operation. It's really remarkable, I mean, to, to, see, to see that the ability of when you sequence these tumors and you're able to direct and help GI oncologists and general oncologists choose the right treatment for the patient, really from where I sit is remarkable. And again, as a non-GI oncologist, I feel like this could be scalable to many other tumors where we don't even know. We have so many therapies that are equal in randomized control trials or even none in, in non-randomized studies where I feel this is really the way to pick, right? I mean, we can pick any tumor in any disease and we can really you know, realize that there are so many types of therapies that you can choose from. And oftentimes we choose based on our perceived knowledge of what the patient would do, or maybe our comfort level or our perceived toxicities of the patient. This is taking it to the next level to John's earlier point, right? I mean, we can look at this as so many other tumors as well. I mean, I think it's our obligation to do this. This is the first of what I hope is many, many signals many, many patterns that we uncover. It is the next level of the promise of precision medicine. If you think about what the last decade has brought us, it has brought us actionable targets, good, strong drivers, where if you have them, you can you bring new therapies to the table. And on some level, that's incredibly exciting. On the other level, it's often frustrating because not many of our patients have you know, those kinds of drivers. So you're back to standard of care kinds of options. This to me is the next tier where we use, you know, the, the kind of big data approaches to better understand tumor behavior and to better apply the existing therapies. So it's an obvious next step. And it only came through a collaborative partnership around our country, around our world, broad molecular profiling, high quality, broad molecular profiling, high-end artificial intelligence, and good, strong clinical outcome data, all going together to yield these kinds of results. And of course, it's applicable, we hope, to other cancers. So we only have a couple of minutes. I'm very appreciative of you both taking a lot of time. I know I know how busy you are. I just want to, each one of you, just maybe uh, finish and leave the listeners with the final thoughts. I'll start with you, Tony. Uh, final thoughts before we let you go back to your busy schedule. 
this to me is is practice changing. It is already changing my practice and in patients who are going to get an oxaliplatin-based regimen. I must say that up until now, if I had somebody that came in with obvious metastatic disease and somebody did a colonoscopy and took, you know, a little bit of biopsy, just enough to say they had cancer, I didn't necessarily send off the profile because I didn't have the tumor tissue to do it. I was sort of left in the dark at that point saying, well, they're going to get full Fox or full Fox Erie, depending, you know, up front anyways. But now it's clear to me, I need a better panel earlier than I was using it before because it may help me change my first line therapy. Before it was sort of the targets were more the second line. You know, I could do a, a quick IHC to see if they had KRAS or MSI, but otherwise I wasn't changing my first line therapy based on that panel. And now that's different. Now the first thing when they come in is like, how much tissue do I have? Do I have enough to run the full panel? And do I need another biopsy now? That's great. John, final thoughts? I just will be very interested to see how practice changes according to this. Will people see this as valuable and worth pursuing for every one of their patients with colorectal cancer? Or will they see this as sort of a hint at something, but not they're not going to change their ways at this point? So I think the, the more of these that come forward, the more reinforcement there is of this, I think the more this will become the routine practice uh, over the year ahead. Guys, I can't be thankful enough. Congratulations on the paper. It's in clinical cancer research. Looking forward to uh, more analyses, more papers, and more collaboration with you and many other investigators. Thank you. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you so much. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed listening to the Keras Molecular Minute podcast. Special thank you to my esteemed colleagues and guests, Drs. John Marshall and Tony Shields, for spending some time with us talking about the Folfox AI uh, signature and uh, about this recent development that, as you heard, both of them believe could be practice-changing and very important to patient care. Please let me know how uh, we can improve on the podcast. There's always room for improvement, as I always say. You can send me an email to cnabhan at karisls.com. You could also direct message me on Twitter at Shadi Nabhan. That's at C-H-A-D-I-N-A-B-H-N. We would always like to incorporate your comments and opinions into the podcast. Please also rate the podcast. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, pretty much really every podcast outlet you could put your hands on. You will find the Keras Molecular Minute on that. So write a brief review, refer a colleagues, uh, a colleague, and always give us the number of stars you believe we deserve. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, please stay safe and take care.